Hello and welcome to Small Business Speaks, the podcast where we get to know the people and ideas that bring businesses to life. I'm Jen Silverian, a recruiter and business owner that loves to shine the light on people that are exceptional at what they do. Hello, it's Jen Silverian with Small Business Speaks. Today, we are speaking to Colleen Nelson, a trauma therapist and owner of C. Nelson Counseling here in Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm very excited to do this episode as we're in the midst of a global pandemic that has brought up a host of challenges, from isolation to fears about financial and physical well-being to uncertainty about the future. In fact, Colleen and I talk about why COVID has been particularly unsettling because it forces people to confront issues that they've been avoiding for years with busyness. And while talking about therapy at this moment is very relevant, it's also an uncomfortable topic for me. I don't like dwelling on things that are upsetting. I mean, gosh, I don't even like listening to the news. So the idea of going to see a therapist has always been very daunting. This is why I appreciate Colleen's commitment to making therapy more accessible and approachable. Since COVID, she's introduced new services like online group therapy, workshops, and telehealth. I can't wait to tell you about those. But first, Colleen's credentials. Colleen has an extensive background in trauma, eating disorders, and addictions. Before launching her private practice in 2017, she worked at the Arapahoe House treating substance abuse, at an eating disorder recovery center, and also as an adoption caseworker. She's a licensed, licensed professional counselor with the state of Colorado and a national certified counselor. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Colorado at Boulder and her master's in counseling psychology at the University of Colorado in Denver. And now on to our conversation. Hi, Colleen. Hi. I have a confession to make, um, and that is... I think I have a very antiquated view of therapy because I've been thinking about it like you go and meet your therapist in person and you have this one-on-one -on -one session. Um, but as I started to do research for this interview, I saw that there were many different formats for, for therapy. There was one-on-one, -on -one, the traditional one-on-one -on -one sessions, but some in many cases, there was online workshops, small groups, um, uh, telehealth. So I'd love to, and this is not just unique to COVID, but kind of where things have been going. Um, so tell me more about the way that you see patients in your practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, therapy has been a practice that I think has transitioned through humanity over time. Um, but it's been in humanity since the dawn of time, um, you know, all the way back to uh, the shamans or the wise men or, and women or the elders um, or people that have just kind of been picked out of community that, that are designated healers, right? Someone who, who can pass the stories of wisdom down who can hold the space for hard things 
and who have the tools necessary to kind of help us all manage the uncertainty of being human. And I think in the 20th century, therapy saw a lot of transitions, but for quite a few years, decades even, it it got very one-on-one, this thing that you do behind closed doors. Um, You don't always tell people about it. It's kind of the secret space. You go tell all your secrets. Um, But what that did is it actually made it very elitist. It was for rich white people who had time. And the pe- or very, very mentally ill people who ended up getting therapy in hospitals or in treatment centers. Uh, for the everyday person or for a person of color or a person of a lower SES, um, therapy was not necessarily something that was available, nor was it something that was promoted. So I think the 21st century therapy is starting to get more diverse, more um, available to every unique person. Um, and as a therapist, I think we really entered the field. You know, I've got, I got my master's degree and, or completed my master's degree in 2013. So, you know, CU Denver was very, um, prolific in their diversity training and really wanting to help us understand our privilege and, and how we're going to relate to each unique person that comes in the office. And part of that training, I think, awoke us up as this new generation of therapists to say, we need to change the way that we're actually putting this out there. It needs to not just be this elite thing that you can access if you pay me $150 an hour and have an hour in the middle of your day to come to my office. Mm -hmm. Um, It just is not possible for everybody. And so I think we have started, and me in particular, I have really shifted the way that I view therapy And we want this one-on-one experience. We do want to have a space that people can step away from their lives and feel like they can leave their stuff here. But we also want people to get more on-the-spot therapeutic tools. And we want them to be able to do that from someone they trust. Mm -hmm. So we're more active on social media. We're more out there with our content, our videos, who we are, what our voice is. So people can get to know who we are so that if a client wants a 30-minute check-in, but they don't want to do weekly therapy. They just are like, I have this one issue and I want to talk to you for 30 minutes and I've got $50. You know, I have different levels depending on the time and depending on what a client wants. I have a whole, a whole offering off of this. I want someone to be able to check out a video of mine or a Facebook group of mine or an Instagram story of mine, get to know who I am, know what my style is and say, I want, you know, I want some tools from her give me a call for 30 minutes. We can talk through their issue. They've got a few tools to walk away from and they know that they can call me if they need support in the future. Eventually they could become a client that comes in more regularly or I see in person to do deeper level work, but maybe just this one tool is something that they take and then they tell all of their friends. Mm -hmm. So here we are passing on wisdom again, passing on stories and tools without this idea that I have to hold it all behind me because it's my secret ingredient. And I think that's really shifted therapy. It's about sharing um, and holding the space, but it's not something that's only exclusive for people that are willing to come in weekly. Mm -hmm. I love that you've removed some of the barriers to um, people seeing a therapist because it does feel like a lot to bite off. Oh, I'm going to go to, as you said, the perception is that it's a really expensive private session and, you know, who knows how long I have to commit to that. 
um, you are doing a couple Facebook groups that I want to call out. Um, and I went to the Wednesday night couples group um, as I was researching um, for this interview. And it was really fantastic. I mean, you do a great job. So tell me more about um, the format of the We're In This Together Couples Therapy on Wednesday nights, which is a, a live Facebook group. And then you also have a Therapy Thursdays. Mm -hmm. So how did you come up with this? Is this a COVID thing or has it been part of your practice for a while? This, this is very COVID-centered. Um, and, and the reason it is is because people don't always, groups are hard for therapy. People don't always want to commit to a group setting or want to show up at a weekly time, especially couples and especially couples who are parents. Um, it's challenging to do that. So when everything shut down, I saw this as an opportunity to really give some tools to people who don't typically access it and don't typically have the time to do so. And so I formed this group quickly, um, both of them knowing that they, they may continue um, they might take on different formats, but um, especially for the month of April, I really wanted to break down a particular book, um, which if you can, I can't tell you what the name of it is right now, but it's Terrence Real. I think it's like it the new rules of marriage. There it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, my brain never wants to grab that title and remember it. Um, but I wanted couples to have this book in their hands in probably one of the most challenging times in their marriage. And so, and I wanted to create a format where they could have access to a therapist and ask me questions in a in more of a private group setting and also feel the support of other couples going through a tough time. And so I, I make worksheets weekly that have to do with either the topic I'm covering or the book chapters that we're talking about. In May, um, I will be just doing a topic a week. So it will be more of a uh, topic based rather than book based. And then I think June and July, we'll see if I do the groups or, or we'll probably put a pause in them because summertime at 7 p.m., people usually like to be outside. So we'll, we'll see what that turns into. Um, but the Therapy Thursdays, I'm going to transition into a free kind of trauma toolbox is what I'm going to call it, where people can invite their friends, invite their relatives. And on this Facebook group will be, number one, um, just a community of people who are willing to engage in kind of some truth-based conversation. And number tool, number two, tools that I'm going to put out regularly, whether it's worksheets or a video or um, a conversation or a podcast or a resource that I feel like if somebody is just looking for a little bit of help and they, they can't afford even $5, they can step in and grab it. Mm -hmm. um, the workshop Wednesdays will continue, I think, in different formats. Most of the time, the clients that actually sign up for it are clients of mine. So they're just getting extra therapy, <laughs> which, is, which is great. Um, and so it's just like another really beautiful support tool that I can have with my couples to weekly give them something to work through so that if they're unpacking it with me every other week or once a month, they have a lot of content to really apply to their relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I I thought the exposure was great. It gives you a, a chance to get to know you and your style. Um, and you, through the worksheets and um, choosing a book to talk about, um, it didn't feel like you put any of your couples on the spot. Um, so we could 
engage or not as much as we were comfortable with um, through this, you know, um, through post and Facebook as we were doing the, the class. Um, and I'm curious to, um, to know how you're, how you arrived at this format and how the goals might be a little bit different than when you're one-on-one -on -one with people in the office. Yeah, oh, well, that's a great question. Um, so I arrived at this format knowing, uh, for me as, as, a, as a couple, right? Like what, what would I really want? Um, and I think information and tools, right? I really just want something that I can unpack and have in my hand in the, in the middle of an argument or in the middle of an issue. Um, calling a therapist is not always going to work or be accessible or be financially feasible. So I wanted something that was easily accessible, that was relatively inexpensive, and that gave people, again, a sense of community and belonging, um, which is a big piece of the Facebook groups. I want people to see that there are other couples in the same position they are or in similar positions. And it's different from one-on-one -on -one because I, I am what you call a directive therapist. So I hold the space for hard things. I, I definitely reflect and I summarize what you're saying, but I also have opinions and I'm going to share them. I have, I have um, tools and educational background in kind of what I want to teach my clients. And so I, I have a plan. When people come in, I come up with a game plan with them. We, we set specific goals. We talk about what they want to accomplish in therapy and they really leave every single session having something new in their pocket. It's not just a time where they come in and they just fight in front of me. And so one-on-one, -on -one, I'm a little bit more challenging. I'm a little bit more directive and we have a plan. We have a specific thing we're working on or a specific topic that we're unpacking. Um, whereas the Facebook group is me talking at people for an hour while getting comments on the Facebook live, but also it's a little bit more me just um, reviewing information and asking questions to provoke thoughtful discussions at home. Exactly. I think the questions were um, really meaningful because they uncovered, you know, maybe conversations that we need to have and things that we need to work on. Um, and I'm glad too that you talked about the goals of therapy because in my sort of naivety, about therapy, I wondered, you know, is this supposed to be, it, it, am I feeling like this is a journey and I'm um, constantly doing work or is there an end point in mind and, and you know, what, what your goals are for your patients? So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I want to jump because you, we did start talking about um, some of the things that people are feeling in this unique time where there's so much uncertainty in the world and we've been forced to swallow many, many changes from homeschooling to shelter in place to businesses closing down to isolation. What are um, some of the things that people are coming to you about now? That's a great question. Um, I'll say, you know, first and foremost, it's very personalized. I think everybody has a different experience of this, which I think is very important to say out loud because we do, we do have underlying themes that persist throughout our community and our culture that are showing up on, I'd say, like the bigger platforms like media and, and social media. 
But I think the deeper layer of what's happening for each individual is we're having to question all of the assumptions we made about our life and all of the rationalizations we made to keep things comfortable, right? So what I'm seeing people bring to me is, hey, I lived my life this way because it made me feel safe and comfortable and I felt like it was good enough. Now that I'm having to stop and reflect and deepen, I'm realizing that safety and comfort actually does not make me feel alive, that I need something more, that I need something deeper in my life. And whether that's a better connection with my kids or a healthier relationship or a different career or a different relationship with my friends, a lot of it is relationship, but some of it is also like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I like. Or I'm finally sitting with some trauma that I've been avoiding for years with busyness. I'm finally sitting with my own sense of worthlessness. And I didn't realize I felt this way because I was just hustling for my worthiness. And so it's these profoundly meaning-based conversations that I'm having, which... (laughs) is amazing as a therapist because that's, I want everyone to have these experiences of living in their truth. But it's also really hard because it's, it's not easy. And, it, and sometimes, and for honestly, quite a few of my clients, it does bring some disruption to their life, whether it's leaving their job or losing their job, wanting to leave their marriage, but needing to stay together for quarantine, wanting to move, or have a different relationship with their parents and friends, but not able to connect with them in a way they find meaningful, Um, or wanting to figure out a different self-care routine because they realize they have not been taking care of themselves, and now they don't have access to some of the things they really really need. So it's it's really disruptive, but it's also really beautiful um, at the same time. It's kind of a, a bit of a paradox. I'm so glad you brought up all those examples because those are really heavy thoughts, you know, Um, suddenly not being busy and being asked to contemplate, you know, your purpose in the world, even what you do on a day-to-day basis, if you're not going to the office Um, and, and wrapping your arms around homeschooling. Do you find that people know how to articulate what they're feeling. Um, how, do you, how do you fill the report? You know, it, there's a propensity, I think, for people to say, like, I'm fine, I'm healthy, everything, you know, we're good. How do you move beyond that? <laughs> so I'm laughing because my, if my clients listen to this, they're going to be like, oh, I know. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a challenging therapist and I, I go off of a lot of, um, my own deep knowing my own story. And I know when somebody says they're fine, they're healthy. I know what the tone of voice is. I know what the physical body looks like when somebody is armoring up, when somebody is not telling their deep truth. And so like most people will say, oh, that's great, me too, you know, and they move on because they don't want to deepen it. So I take a deep breath and I say something like, I, th- I think that's not the truth. T- tell me what's underneath that. All right, I, I, re- I, I push just enough, not, not in a confrontational way, but I push just enough that if, if, they, 
if they let the silence linger long enough, it's difficult for somebody to put that armor back on one more time. And if they do, it's typically because they're not ready to go to that space. And I can honor that. Or it's because they're realizing now that it's armor. So then we have a conversation about the armor. And it, it's just honestly about not accept, accepting somebody's flippant response for how they're doing. It's really caring and showing somebody that you really care and that you can handle the answer. I think a lot of times we don't always share how we're really feeling because we don't believe the person who's asking wants to hear it. You know, I was listening to a podcast um, with Lori Gottlieb, who is a therapist that um, writes for The Atlantic. And she said that feelings, um, often if they're unexpressed, come out as behaviors. Um, So... For me, after years of you know really getting up early and, and being excited and awake when I started my day, I found myself sleeping in more um, mm-hmm. after shelter-in-place orders. And that was probably a an, an behavior um, that came up because of the way I was feeling, this sense of dread and, and uncertainty. Um, what are some behaviors that you've seen people express that may be indicators of kind of deeper feelings? Great question. Um, So there is a mentor of mine, his name is Bruce, and um, he he created this model, calls it Bruce, Bruce's model. It's, (laughs) it's, I mean, um, and he talks about uh, this acronym called it's pariah. And these are behaviors that people engage in, which I'll go through here in a second, when they're feeling a, a lack of inner safety and control, when they're feeling out of control because the outside world has disrupted it and they're not able to turn inward and find their own sense of safety and control. So they're looking external, which is the, how the behaviors come out. So the P is perfectionism. So perfectionism is a behavior that comes out when we're feeling out of control and unsafe. And that can show up in so many different ways. Um, The first A is addiction. So I definitely think we're seeing a lot of this right now. Um, Addictive behaviors, um, compulsive shopping, compulsive Netflix watching, (laughs) compulsive eating. when they become a certifiable addiction, it's, it's out of control, right? It, it takes on a whole nother meaning, but I do think we're starting to see some addictive behaviors, this, this level of um, repetition that's occurring in shelter in place. Then also reactivity. So the R is reactivity. We are being reactive rather than responsive uh, to other people's feedback or, or situations that are occurring. The I is isolation, and it's, it's relevant here because there are some people who are reaching out, doing Zoom calls, going outside and howling at 8 o'clock, you know, doing their best to still connect in this time of isolation already, and then there are some people who are pulling back and isolating a lot and, and not engaging, and that can be almost a protective mechanism because of some of the grief that's going to come up when they do go on these Zoom calls and they do miss the people that they want to connect with. Um, So isolation is something you continue to see. And then the other A is avoidance. So this is when, (laughs) you know, 
you don't look at the news for three weeks. There's, there's a, there's some <laughs> bit of relevance we need. <laughs> yeah. We really just don't want to see what's going on. And, um, or we just kind of avoid, uh, the budget or looking at our finances. We don't check our bank account, right? Like th there's a lot of avoidant behaviors that are occurring. Um, or couples who don't want to talk about anything hard because they know if they do, things are going to get real. So they avoid those conversations. And then the H is, is headstrong. And this is more just like not wanting to listen to anybody's opinion, but your own. We're seeing a lot of this, I think with the protests, this is when people are like, I don't want to hear any other information or data. I just want to believe what I believe because it's making me feel safe right now. And they're not open to critical feedback at all. And it goes both ways, right? There are also people who are just like, I'm not going to go outside. I'm sanitizing my groceries. I'm not like, I'm going to take a shower every five minutes. That's also headstrong in the opposite direction. So we're seeing some of those behaviors as well. I know you see a lot of parents in your practice. Do you see kids as well? Um, I have a few slots open for teenagers um, over the age of 14. Because I specialize in eating disorders, um, I have a few clients that are younger, um, but it's, it's not common. I probably have right now four. Um, I asked because it occurs to me that these pariah doesn't just relate to adults, but um, a lot of kids are feeling this way too and they might may not be as articulate um, to to know what words to use to describe how they're feeling um, and I find myself wondering I have two girls that are um, 10 and 12 and I wonder how they're um, how they're internalizing all this, you know, um, not seeing their friends at school, having to be accountable for remote learning, not having sports, um, just not having that daily interaction. And um, as you talk about some of these behaviors, I see things like um, reactivity and, and isolation and avoidance. Um, do you have advice for um, family members, it doesn't have to be parents necessarily, it could be um, couples or, or um, even among a, a friend group, when you, you notice or can identify people experiencing these things um, or you're experiencing yourself, what are some useful coping strategies? Whew. So, I think these behaviors are tied to some deeper layer core beliefs about self. I'll say that like um, they bring up stories of I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. So they can be deeply rooted. So it's important. It's important to know that um, no one coping strategy is going to make you not engage in these behaviors, but it's good to have awareness around when you're in the behavior, right? So I think, I think it's okay to just name like, this is something I'm using to cope and, it, and it's deeper than I can really unpack currently in this moment um, or with my parent or with my friend. Um, that's some deeper therapeutic work. But I think given the times that we're in, we're all dealing with an I am story of I am not safe 
And that, that one in particular can really provoke these behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I'm going to talk about children real quick because I think it's, it's different the way we're going to talk to kids than how we would talk to uh, peers or, or other family members. I think children really need to see us reflect struggle, awareness, and recovery. They need to see us go through what they're feeling internally, but they can't name. So an example of that would be, so I have a five-year-old, so I'm, I'm going to talk in a more five-year-old language, but you know, oh man, I'm really struggling with not being able to see my friends. I really miss them. It hurts my heart. It makes my stomach uncomfortable. And I also feel a little bit of anger, which is kind of like rage in my body. Like I want to run as fast as I can. And it really, I'm, I get so frustrated with it. I get frustrated with the feelings and I get frustrated that I can't do these things and naming it. And then, you know, letting your child reflect. Usually they say back like, yeah, I feel the same or this really sucks. And then you say something like, it's good to be aware that we're feeling this. And also, it's really important for us always to remember that this is a season of our life. This is temporary. Most emotional experiences are temporary. And to remind ourselves of that out loud repeatedly and also our children is crucial because teenagers feel like the present moment will be forever. They're very much like, especially preteens, so 10 and 12 like how they experience life right now in this moment, they believe they will have forever and ever and ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they need to know it's, it's not forever and ever. Like it's transitional. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, you've got to share your coping skills. So a coping skill that I would give is to bring it back to the present moment and say like, what in this moment can I do that can elicit some joy, gratitude, and some, some love? Maybe I need to go snuggle my dog. Maybe instead of excessively cleaning my kitchen, I go sit in the sun and close my eyes and remember that the earth is still warm and beautiful and full of life. Um, maybe instead of isolating, I step outside and I make eye contact with someone. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I don't have to talk to anybody. It's about being aware that you're doing these behaviors and then taking a tiny baby step towards creating a new story and doing something a little different. Because to overhaul these behaviors, I think, would be really disruptive. But to take little tiny steps in the direction of joy is, is how we counteract this fear and control part of being human. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's such amazing advice um, to share with your kids what's on your mind and how you're feeling. I think with the many different roles that we're asked to play right now, um, from worker to parent to teacher um, to entertainer to everything else um, at least I feel like I have a checklist and it's like how did school go today did you get everything done and it's um, it's avoiding the real topic of how they're feeling um, mm -hmm. so I appreciate that um, I want to talk about how you found your way here, why this is your, um, why, the, why this is your life's work, why um, you were drawn to therapy and in particular trauma therapy. So I first want to understand what that means, what it means to be a trauma therapist. Yeah, absolutely. So a trauma therapist is somebody, well, my version of what a trauma therapist is, is I actually view mental illness as originating all from trauma. 
um, beyond the biological diseases like schizophrenia, um, I believe that there's some genetic components, right? You might be genetically predisposed to lean in the direction of depression or anxiety, but when we look at the body's response to trauma, it can look like depression, it can look like anxiety, it can look like bipolar. Um, and so I believe the root cause of most mental illness is trauma. And so from that perspective, I work with my clients to really uncover what in their life, their body interpreted as trauma. Because remember, we have big T traumas like car accidents and war and violence, but little T traumas can be shame or uh, experience of a breakup or not belonging. Those are traumas to our body, especially as primates, we believe that belonging is essential to our survival. So it's important for me as a trauma therapist to come from that perspective and help people understand their story without labeling them with a mental illness um, that then is treated by pharmaceuticals. Not that pharmaceuticals are not a good tool when people are really struggling. I just believe that if we're going to actually shift somebody's life, we need to get to the root cause. And that includes eating disorders and addiction. I believe both of those are inherently caused by trauma. You challenged my definition of trauma because I think um, when I, I was just thinking about the capital T traumas um, and not as the everyday things that keep coming up and preventing us from moving forward or, or reaching our full potential. Um, your own career, so um, going back to um, when your undergrad work, did you know at that point that um, you wanted to, to go into therapy? Um, and then I also want to understand that the jobs you took, the roles you took after college, um, you worked at the Arapaho Center, um, which is a substance, which was a substance abuse center. You were an adoption caseworker and you worked at a center for eating disorders. All of these things seem very intentional. Um, you had something in mind um, for when you decided to pursue each role. So tell me why you chose the path you did. So great question. Um, all right, so I'll, I'll answer the first question of, um, did I know I wanted to be a therapist in undergrad? Um, yes, I'm one of the rare people that I knew I wanted to be a therapist probably at like age eight. Um, as soon as I found out what therapy was, I'm like, oh, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, and it's because from the time I was little, I've been doing this. I've been wondering how to get people into their truth and how to help them shed their armor. And I'll attribute that to my parents. <laughs> They've got some great armor. <laughs> so I think as a kid, I was like, what is happening under your armor? I need to know your true self. And I just was aching for that. And so they were my first, they were my first clients, we'll say. <laughs> and so as soon as I knew what this was that I was doing, I think is a survival mechanism for myself. Being a very deep individual from the moment I was born, I think I just was born into a family where they're very good at functioning at a level where they don't have to go deep all the time. They definitely have depth, but they, they liked being up where they were comfortable. And so I knew from a very early age. And so even the psych classes in junior high and high school, I was like, 
all in. It just lined up with my core truth. Um, and so when I went into undergrad, I started by, um, when I got my undergrad in psychology and I started by volunteering at Safe House Progressive Alliance for Nonviolence. It's a Boulder women's shelter and got kind of a taste of what trauma was. And as soon as I, I did, I did that, I was like, oh yeah, this is like, I'm going to have to really dive into a lot of areas of trauma before I'm going to understand how to show up in private practice. Cause I've always wanted to do private practice. I've always wanted to create my own company. And so that's when I kind of determined that I was going to hop around in these different arenas of therapy so that I could have some experience um, in a variety of places where people really, really, really struggle. So that when people come into my office, I'm not afraid when somebody says they're self-harming or I'm not afraid when somebody says they're drinking a fifth of whiskey every day or um, when a couple can't conceive after seven years of trying. You know, like I wanted, I really wanted to help people in the, the shadow parts of their life, help them walk out of the shadows together. Um, so that's what I seeked out. I seeked out places where people were in the shadows, where they were really struggling and they were at the bottom of the well. Um, and then. <laughs> I threw myself in. <laughs> I was a 24 year old working as a detox supervisor in Jefferson County. <laughs> like, <laughs> you want to, I mean, you want to talk about like being thrown in the deep end and being taught some major lessons by people with a lot more life than me. <laughs> that was it. Like mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I mean, that leads to my next question, which is when you're confronted with these really, challenging deep problems um, where do you turn for your um, advice recommendations continued education are there certain um, speakers or other psychologists or thought leaders that you routinely go to yeah absolutely I you know other I would say other counselors other colleagues of mine um, Ellen Jeffreyan, uh, Kate Heitzler are two just locally that, um, Stephanie James, uh, therapists that are, um, different perspective, different tools, different resources. So I really do love working in collaboration. Um, and then I would say like the bigger names for me are actually going to be people that are outside of the therapeutic arena. I do like Esther Perel and, um, Terrence Real, um, Real, I think I say his name, John Gottman, uh, for couples work. Um, but when it comes to individual work, I'm, you know, I lean more in the direction of people like Eckhart Tolle or Brene Brown. I really love what Glennon Doyle did with her new book, Untamed. It is literally reshaping the way that people are seeing their lives. I mean, she has broken a huge barrier here. Um, I'm writing that down. Oh yeah. Read Untamed. It'll change your life. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Um, and so I'd say those are kind of my top ones. Michelle Obama's up there for me too, um, in the way that she's speaking. And it's, you know, that's the hard part for me is I don't feel like there's a lot of therapists doing what Brene and Glennon and Michelle, Elizabeth Gilbert, what these, these people are doing. Um, and I want, I, that's what I want to be. I want to be a therapist who's talking about these topics on a big, big level, who's helping people 
understand trauma from a different perspective and that it isn't just these big T's. And Brene says this, and so does Glenn. Like, they all talk about trauma the way I'm talking about it now. But I think it's different when you hear it from the words of somebody who is um, licensed and, and trained in therapy. It, it carries a little bit more weight or just a different kind of perspective. And so, um, you know, as I do continuing education, I'm always seeking out people outside of my field as well as within my field um, to really kind of dive into those arenas. A lot of therapists are very... Um, research research oriented they're especially phds you know they're very much in the university system and um they just don't speak in a motivational speaker way or in a way that i think the general population has access to their conversations are much more clinical and can feel a little detached Mm -hmm. very important work but just not as translatable to the general public Mm -hmm. i i think that's why your style resonates with me um, because of the motivational aspect, the results-driven aspect. Um, so we're coming up on the end of our hour, and I know you have a busy day ahead of you. Um, what I want to ask as, as a final question is, what, um, what can we expect to see from you in the future, um, from your practice? Um, are there more workshops in store? Um, uh, what, what do you plan on doing in some of the social channels that, um, you'd love for people to know about? Uh, so great question as well. Um, so I'm, I pivoted completely. I, I was doing therapeutic retreats and really putting some energy into taking people on these intentional vacations. Um, clearly with everything that happened, I shifted and I actually feel like I aligned a lot more with my why. Um, and so I am launching at the end of May, a brand new website. And on that website, I'm actually creating a tiered system for um, discovery calls, uh, clarity calls, people who want just 30 minutes of therapy, uh, a refresher where maybe they, they want an hour, but they don't want to sign up for weekly therapy, a, um, a 90 minute kind of um, dive in where they want to spend 90 minutes. So I'm offering um, therapeutic telehealth as well as calls and in-person in a, in a different format. I'm also offering weekly therapy and continuing to do that. Um, and then I'm launching an online course and I'll be doing three series of these online courses throughout the year. So I'm launching one here uh, at the end of May and then I'll launch another one in August and then another one in October. And these online courses are, I've got an intro to the course, a mini version of the course, and then a master course. So again, I'm really wanting to make it accessible for everybody's access point. If they want two worksheets in a video, cool, here it is for free. If they want um, three videos and six worksheets and a little bit deeper work, here it is for $100, right? The master course is a little more expensive. You want some one-on-one sessions with that? Here's an add-on. So it's, I'm creating a platform where people can come and really access therapy in different ways. Um, the first series is going to be uh, what's called in the empower series. And I'm talking about boundaries. I'm talking about how to know what your boundaries are, how to establish them, and also how to speak them to people while maintaining relationship. And so that's going to be that first course that I'm offering starting in June. Oh, this feels so much different than what I envisioned um, therapy as. Um, so for, for those 
that are interested in exploring these courses or exploring one-on-one um, -on -one counseling with you. You're seeing Nelson counseling here in Fort Collins, but I think with your new online offerings, that doesn't limit um, people that aren't local. Um, but where can we find you? Tell us more about, like, where can we find you <laughs> online, um, your website? How yes. can we get in touch with you? So I'm hoping that I'll change my website eventually, but this one will always link to it. It's just a long <laughs> address. I created it five years ago. Um, so it's cnelsoncounselingllc.com. <laughs> so it's long. If you Google Colleen Nelson, you might be able to find me or Colleen Nelson Counseling. But I would, it's cnelsoncounselingllc.com. My Instagram tag is cnelson.trauma dot therapy. Um, and then my, my Facebook is sort of emerging, if you will. <laughs> it's, it's C. Nelson Counseling. Um, that page is, it needs some work, we'll say. But I, um, I would say my website's going to be the best spot. I hired a website designer, Hello Rising from Denver. She specializes in just women-owned uh, businesses that are like conscious women-owned businesses. She's amazing. Uh, her name's Erin. And Hello Rising, you said? Hello Rising, yes. I need to make some, uh, some changes to my website, so that's a great resource. Thank you. You're welcome. She's, yeah, she's incredible. Um, and so she is going to be working on my website, and we're going to be launching it in June. So we'll have all of that and, and kind of shifting. And, you know, one of the things I want to say just to, like, especially since this is small business owners, and, you know, definitely develop your, your network. Um, one of the things that has made me be able to pivot all of this and, and be successful in this place is I am part of Women in Inc. in Fort Collins. I'm part of one of the masterminds. Lindsay Roselle has been amazing in guiding us through this. And I'm also part of a, a group called The Twelve, which is um, a, a goals coach. Her name is Jackie Carr. She does this every year and she has 12 women in business who go through this amazing experience with her. It's much more, it feels more like a coaching session, but it, it is such community networking based and as women and men, I think we need to have communities and it's, it's really powerful. So I suggest if you're a business owner or you're struggling, like find your community. And sometimes that looks different than you imagine it being. For me, I didn't think these networking groups would become what they are, but they're a much deeper place for me than just going to talk about my business. So they've been incredibly helpful. I'm so glad you brought that up um, because I have just recently gotten involved with Women in Inc. and, and um, Lindsay's online groups. And um, we do get ideas from each other. Um, and it's important, you know, going back to Pariah, um, for people that are feeling lost and isolated and, and maybe at a crossroads um, to talk to other business owners that have, you know, are exploring the same pivots. Um, mm -hmm. It's been great talking to you. Um, yes. Yes, you as well. And uh, is there, before we sign off, is, you know, I, the advice you've given um, people that uh, is, is, stuff we can all use given the uncertainty that persists. Um, we don't know how long this normal um, is, is going to persist. 
um, and um, when we might find our way out of this. So I really appreciate the coping strategies and I'm looking forward to seeing those master classes from you in, in May and June. Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on this uh, podcast and I look forward to seeing what you create as well. I think this is amazing uh, resource and for all of us to get to know some of the small business owners on a, on a deeper level. So I really appreciate it. Hi guys, it's Jen again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Small Business Speaks. We're releasing new episodes every week, so take a minute now to subscribe and rate us in Apple Podcasts. And if you have a favorite small business owner you'd like us to feature, leave me a message in the show comments or at Small Business Speaks on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thanks for listening.